0: Welcome to the Unfiltered Mom podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Lewis. Today, we do not have a traditional podcast for you. We're actually sharing a conversation that was hosted over on Facebook, talking, well, actually we relaunched a series, our series called Getting Comfortable with the Uncomfortable, Real Talk about Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity. And I feel so compelled to share this because I think it's something we all need in our lives. And when you listen, I want you to go in with an open heart and an open mind and just hear what these women have been through. Because in full transparency, as a white woman, I will never understand it. I will never go through it. I I recognize 100% I'm a very privileged white woman. And so I'm honored to be able to share these stories here with you and be able to bring this in hopes that you feel or walk away educated, you learned a little bit more, you can maybe even sit with something that you you heard and really try to figure out if it's a heart issue or maybe you grew up in a community or in a family that was extremely racist or wasn't inclusive and I'm not just talking color of your skin or your religion. I'm talking disabilities and and different things like that. Anybody that is not look like you, that does not look like you, that, that is that is all that there is here, you know, because diversity, obviously we know goes so much further than just the color of our skin. So go into this, please listen with an open heart and these women did an incredible job sharing their stories, their hardships and their and the beautiful. And sad thing is th- this was just their introduction, and they introduced them- themselves so beautifully. And also in the same breath, it was so hard to hear that these are things that they experience on a daily basis. And I think my, my hope, their hope, as you walk away and you <laughs> – can take something and teach your kids because at the end of the day, we are raising this next generation of really incredible human beings and we want them to be that because I think our kids are going to be so much farther ahead than we are because of what we've experienced in our lifetime and what we have the ability to teach them because resources like this and women who are, are willing and ready to share and educate and be vulnerable are here to share their story. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody. We are back with our Getting Comfortable with the Uncomfortable series. This is a series we started back in, oh my gosh, would it be COVID was at its all-time high? I think it was maybe a month after George Floyd's death or maybe maybe a little bit sooner than that. And we had started the series, if you guys remember, um, Tiffany was on with us, and Safana was on with us, and we just really had a great conversation. And then life happened, and now we're back, and we're coming in hot. And we um, we have some women that are I'm super excited to have on here. If you listen to Unfiltered po- Unfiltered Mom podcast, you obviously have probably seen Tom Keen, or well, listen to Tom Keen on the Unfiltered Mom. And um, the uh, Kanisha is new to Detroit mom. And then Erica has been with Detroit mom. And you've probably seen her beautiful face all over some stuff too. So I, I kind of want to give a little introduction myself, but really give the floor to these ladies. Um, I'm Elizabeth Lewis. If you have not been here, I own um, Detroit mom. And I love this topic specifically because um, I, I truly think it was a I think it's an important conversation to have because I don't want to raise kids that are concerned with color or anything else. And I'll tell you, I come from an area that is all white. So I grew up around all white people. And it wasn't until I moved into the city, well, into Metro Detroit, that I actually am in a melting pot of people. And so my kids don't know any different. They go to school with black, brown, yellow, any, any. Kid, you can imagine, we have a melting pot of a school, which was super important to me because I feel like I I missed out on a lot of that as I was growing up because I didn't grow up with anybody other than people that looked like me. And so I really wanted that for my kids and why I'm truly honored to be here with these three lovely ladies and to run a site and a platform that gives a voice to women who need to have their voices heard. And that's something that's super important to me. And so I'm gonna go ahead and let Erica start this off because we have been going back and forth probably for the last, what, Erica, six months, really figuring out how to give this information to you and what it's going to look like and how it's going to look how it's going to look and how we can get the message across the best way. And this is not a personal attack on you. This is is really to educate you to maybe open your eyes and and help you walk along these women or see yourself somewhere as a woman, as a mother, not as a black, white, brown, anything, not as anybody other than a mother and a woman raising children that, you know, if, if you guys really think about it, we're raising this next generation, whether they're going to be jerk balls or they're going to be really good humans. And, um, I, I know I was just telling a story. I'm particularly proud of my daughter. I have a nine-year-old that is a, is truly a little activist. This girl is, is something else, but I'll tell you why we have the conversation in our home all the time. One of her best friends is Black, and I love that. And, and her mom and I talk about that, that um, it's great to have both perspectives, that our kids can be around each other and, you know, be in a Black home, be in a white home, and get this different perspective of what it's like to be around people that don't just look like you. And so I encourage you to listen to everything they have to say. And at the end of each of these, we will give you ways to implement and move into how you can make a difference when it comes to teaching your kids or yourself. Maybe there's something really heavy on your heart. Maybe you didn't know that you were doing something that one of these women talk about. Reach out to us. We would love to talk to you. We are not judging you or criticizing you. We want to educate you, and really, not even we—they want to educate you. I just want to be here to share that you aren't alone in thinking this. If you, I—we realize that there are a lot of white women that watch this, and I've said a lot of stupid things. I've done a lot of stupid things. A lot—I've said and done a lot of stupid things because I didn't know. And so, hopefully, you don't have to make the same mistakes because. We're sharing this information with you. So Erica, I'm going to give the floor to you and let you kind of kick it off and let these other beautiful ladies go.
1: Okay. So hi, Detroit mom community. I'm Erica. Um, I've been writing, you might've seen my stuff for probably the last year or so um, on Detroit mom. It's a joy. It's a passion. I'm a little bit obsessed with it. And actually part of the reason, and I'm sure Elizabeth, you remember this, but like when I asked to be a contributor for Detroit Mom, it's like, I want to see more Brown. I want to see more stories from Black women like myself in this area, especially for, you know, a website with Detroit in a title. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to see more people like me reflected. Mm -hmm. So why not me? Um, So I am a Black woman um, and I always share this with people as a joke, but also in a very real way because of the color of my skin, because of the color of my eyes, because of, the way that I speak and how I live my life, people have always assumed and told me that I am biracial and I often have to like, nope, no, nope, I promise you both of my parents are black and you know, they'll, they'll argue with me and I'll say, you sound foolish. Um, so I sometimes tell people I'm a black woman, but I have lived a mixed biracial life because I, that's how I've been treated my whole life. And so that's just a really fascinating world to walk in um i am married to a white man um and not just a white man but like the most suburban like stereotype of is learning every day you know about privilege and about what his upbringing was like compared to my upbringing and you know he does a beautiful job of learning over these last eight years we've been together Um, so married to a white man and i now have a daughter she's four and in February, we're expecting our son. So, pretty soon we will have a biracial boy, which is going to be a different experience than having a biracial girl. Um, so, I'm really preparing for what that's like and trying to prepare the world for him. Um, so, part of something that I especially have been thinking about is that, you know, last summer we regained or like we gained so much more support and traction for things like Black Lives Matter and just general awareness of racial inequity. Conversations that people denied before summer of 2020, they finally started and I've been trying to really move in that momentum for the last year um, and not lose this moment. I feel like it's such a crucial moment. People have been more willing to have the conversations and to get uncomfortable or at least to consider it more than they ever have been. So it's been really important to me to, to push that, like, let's not lose it. It still matters, it's still important. For me, not much has changed from last summer to right now. I'm still dealing with a lot of trauma from that whole experience of like the news last summer and protesting and marching, which I did. Um, so it's just been really interesting, but also it's been uncomfortable for me seeing people who have fallen off of that movement that were really gung ho last July and are now ghosts. So, you know, I'm really interested in like continuing work in this space um, professionally. So, I'm a social worker at a school, <laughs> like actively <laughs> right this very minute. Um, and I'm I do an after school club to teach my kids cultural competence, so that you know they know that the goal. They can always tell you Mrs. Saville wants us to be better grown ups. So, you know, my goal is to turn out adults who are willing to have conversations that our our generation of adults have never had and have never been taught to have. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm trying to teach young people about the world so that they don't get up here surprised that there are people who don't look like them, who speak languages they don't speak. Um, So all of that's like passions of mine in the last year and kind of like my greatest focus. So anyway, I love uncomfortable conversations. As a social worker, I feel like that's my training, that's my personality. I would much rather talk about racial equity than the weather. So people have questions or want to challenge something or pick my brain about something, I'm here for it.
0: I love that. Um, Okay, so I do have a question for you. Do you have a mix of both black and white friends, more black, more white, Where, where do you think you fall there?
1: So I have a really good mix of friends but they're not mixed together. Um, which similar to the city of Detroit, you know, it's I, and this is statistic, it's one of the most diverse, but also one of the most segregated areas in the country. So I have like this really great group of close black girlfriends and I have my family who is all brown. Um, and then I have this group of friends from work that are all white. And then I have this group of friends from grad school. That's actually that's my um, we call ourselves the brochure because we have a mix of Asian, white and black. <laughs> Um, and sometimes I say like, you guys, we still got to get a Hispanic friend or like a Latino oh, friend, <laughs> like to finish out the brochure to make yeah. sure we get our marketing materials out here.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so, yeah, I have I have some of each, just not always together.
0: Do you feel a lot of stress around managing or like pressure around managing each group, especially when I think when stuff happened with George Floyd and everything was at this like heightened state? Did you feel this pressure to manage all of these groups?
1: I don't really, because at this point, all of my friends groups, like people that I'm close to, they're similarly aligned with me. Like they okay. were marching with me. Like my white friends are marching with me. My black friends, we don't even have to have, we don't, we don't have to even speak in whole sentences. We can just say like, did you see girl I saw? <laughs> and that's sufficient, you know? So the people that are in my circle, I feel like there's been nothing to manage because they're right here with me. Yeah. Um, family has been a little bit more interesting, especially, you know, we yeah with my white husband, I've gained a huge white family yeah. and that's different, um, but I don't see them as often, you know, and so it's been a more gradual process over there. But my friends, I feel like we're good.
0: Okay. that I think family, that's a, like a whole nother conversation, right? Like,
1: that's that could a, be a whole episode.
0: <laughs> whole nother conversation. Okay. Okay. We'll come back to you, Erica, because I, I have some some more hot seat questions for you just to help people get to know you guys. Um, Kanisha. Give us your give us your story. Yeah,
2: hey Detroit mom and everyone watching out there. Um, my name is Kanisha. I um, currently live in Ipsy and I'm new to Detroit mom. I've been following Detroit mom for years, um, but finally got that courage to join join the community, and I'm super excited about it. A um, lot of things align with what Erica said. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so I'm, I'm feeling a lot of what she said. I am um, biracial, so I am half white, half black, um, but I grew up in a completely white community in a completely white home um, with no um, exposure to my culture. So um, my upbringing was a little bit different where I feel that, and I do actively state that I was whitewashed, um, where I just was expected to do things in a particular way or looked at it in a certain way or um, things that I look at now and consider micro, are microaggressions, not consider them, they are microaggressions, like being called, you're the whitest black girl I know and and things like that. that really hurt now that I look back on it um, was a normal for me. Um, I too am married to a white man and we have two wonderful little boys, um, biracial little boys. Well, I guess they're quarter black, so they're very white presenting. So I always get the questions out. Are you the nanny or did you birth them? And I'm like, yep, I remember 33 hours of labor um, and every minute of it, and and yes, I birth them. <laughs> so um, yeah, for my job, I work um, with foster kids, and um, I am actually a trainer for new um, adoption and foster care and CPS workers for the state. And I do a lot of race equity and cultural competence work. So facilitating those conversations on an everyday basis and just really getting people to open up and start to have the conversation who have never had the conversation before because if they're like me who came from this little town where it's you know completely white, they probably didn't have the conversation before. And I didn't really start having the conversations until my husband and I um, got married and moved to California. And I was put in a completely new environment where things were starting to be said to me that I didn't think about because I was like, oh, I'm just kinesia. But when racial slurs are starting to be yelled at you in a Walmart parking lot because you're holding your husband's hand and they're like, why are you with that um, N-word or Black girl or whatever it may be, then I'm like, oh, well, there's other things going on in the world. And then just the last couple of years in doing the work that I do, um, and, and really educating myself and immersing myself in my culture, learning about my culture so I can teach it to my kids, um, has really, really opened my eyes to, um, some real truths that are coming out of people that, that you didn't see before. So there's a lot of aspects that go into it. And, um, I'm I'm growing and learning every day, and just to be able to facilitate and have the conversation and be in this space with other people who go through the same things as me, um,
0: really just makes it makes it awesome. So, well, what you just said, I think, is Mm a great way too. Before Mm -hmm. we jump into Tom is this is where it's so important. You know, it's interesting as a white mom, you're not sitting down having the conversations with your kids about wearing joggers, about doing certain things, how to act around police, things like that. We teach our kids, like, police are safe people. Like, if anything happens to you, you run to the police, you do this when it's such a different aspect for you, right? For the Black community or for for any community that's not white. It's really having the conversations with your kids that we are not having. We are not having... So on the flip side of that, how can we have those conversations with our kids so our kids are not the ones doing those things to your kids? Do you know what I mean? Where we're having the conversation. Um, and I, I, I wanna share this because I think this is a great place to kind of share this and why it's so important to talk to our kids and why we need to watch what we say or really check our own hearts um, when having conversations about race or what's going on in the news. Um, I have a my daughter's um, best friend is black and I I was picking her up the other day and her mom and I were having a conversation and she told me that her daughter came home and said um, this girl in school said to her, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for you. You have to live by all those black people over in Southfield. Okay, let's think about this for a minute. First, the little girl was black. The other girl was white who's making this comment. So the little girl went home and said to her mom, this is what happened. And apparently the girl was watching the news, the parent, so everyone's having the conversation, something that happened in Southfield, and this is why this little girl said that. To me, so then my daughter's asking me questions about that. To me, that starts in your house. That's you having those conversations, A, in front of your children. That's your own bias that you're reflecting on your children because our kids watching the TV, seeing black, white, whatever the case may be, aren't going, oh my gosh, I feel bad for you. You have to live by those black people or brown people or whatever the case may be. And I think this is where it really is such a heart check for us as white mothers to be like, okay, where am I going wrong? Or where where I think it really is your own bias because I, I think as her and I started really having this conversation, she's like, Elizabeth, I've had these conversations every day. With my sons, I'm terrified for my boys to go out in joggers. Terrified. You don't eat like while all these kids are getting black joggers, it's cool right now in, in you know high school and stuff to have black joggers. My sons can't have that. My boys cannot have black joggers. And I was just like, literally, whenever I hear this stuff, it just breaks my heart because these are not things. And I I hope that if you're a white woman listening to this, we we're not having this conversation. And this is where our privilege. This is truly wholeheartedly, where our privilege as a white mother, as a white woman, as a white human in society comes from. And my hope is with these women that we can help and kind of like especially your training, Kanisha, Erica, like direct you in the direction of how to how to raise these better humans. How do we raise it where our white children are not going to school making racial comments? because I'm sure that little girl saw nothing wrong with what she said. Because you know why? Because nobody said what you're saying is wrong. Your thought process is not wrong. So me, being me, I called the school. Well, if we had parent-teacher conference that night, called the school, I said, do we have race? Um, r- what is it? Race, race, right? Well, I can't speak. Race, training. What is it? Equity, inclusion. For,
1: equity, inclusion. Yeah, yeah, what is it? Cultural
0: confidence. Like know. elementary. Would it be what Erica's talking about? Like getting stuff like that in our schools?
1: Yeah. I mean, so like I took it the route of cultural competence to include all forms of culture, including like race, religion, disability, um, gender identity. So like all of the types where a lot of times diversity, equity, and inclusion right now is still focused primarily on race. Um, And I think
0: that's what people think, right? Whenever, let's be honest, when you, and I almost feel this too, when people are like, talk about racism, it's such a divide between black and white. I feel like it's it's not that often, but when you hear when you hear Tom Keen's story, you're gonna be like, why why is it just between these two colors? Right. Or, or I just this is why things are so important. And I think as parents, this is when we have to advocate, be our children's advocate and get I'm I'm speaking to a white white perspective, get it in our schools so that our kids can learn. And maybe our kids can teach us something maybe our kids can come to us and say, this is what I learned today. I would be so excited if my daughter came home today or came home and said to me, this is what she learned. Or she was an school program that was focused on diversity, equity, inclusion. And, and she was really being taught that because I think my daughter was even confused on why this other girl was saying this. to her. She's like, why would she say that to her? She's black. And why is it bad to live there because of black people? And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, even for me, it's overwhelming. I'm going to be 100% honest because I don't always know what to say. I, I I, truly don't always know what to say. I would love my daughter to be the teacher of that. Do you know what I mean? Like how amazing, how amazing would that be if our children could teach us something? Like truly amazing. And so, you know, I just, I implore you to really, really think about that and how you can make a difference in your school. If your school is mainly white, there's probably a lot more work to do. If your kids are not exposed to any other colors at all of kids, they have no idea they've never been in a black home or a brown home or whatever the case may be and experience something other than themselves, then we need to sit back and say, what can we do to make that difference? And calling your school and asking if you can get that training there, I think is one of the biggest steps, because I think a lot of white women are afraid, like, well, if I say something, I'm going to say something wrong. If I do something, I'm doing it wrong. I'm not, I'm not doing it. If you can, if somebody attacks you for something you said, learn from it. Don't take it personal. This is like years, you know, and we, we, and this again, another whole conversation about marginalized communities having to live their trauma every single day because of things that have happened, that happens repetitively over and over and over things that, white people will never have to experience. So I don't want to obviously go deep into that, but I thought, uh, Kenesha, that was a good segue to talk about that. Because like you said, like you have to raise, now you have to teach your biracial children completely different things, things that we're not Mm -hmm. sitting at home talking about, but really we should, because I think it's our, it's a responsibility we have to our kids. It, It really is a responsibility we have to our children to, make sure we equip them with all this stuff going into the future and how to really treat people and and see the differences instead of growing up and saying,
2: I don't see color. And I was just going to add that too. I'm glad that you ended on that. Elizabeth, that you said a lot of individuals do think that um, leading with, I don't see color is a strong statement and it's not um in the BIPOC community or BIPOC if y'all don't know it's black BIPOC. indigenous yep okay. BIPOC Black Indigenous uh persons of color. Um you have to see color to acknowledge that other groups of individuals went through that oppression and if you're saying you know I don't see color it's it's saying that you don't see a person and all the struggles and things that they have gone through over the years and years of time so I just wanted to add that real quick because it is you know thoughts that are that are out there that you know we don't see color we teach not to see color um and and you have to see a color to see a person so
0: I just want to add that no that's so powerful and I think Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you, you. <laughs> and I think there's so much to learn every time we have a conversation. You know, we it's interesting. We had lunch last week for an hour, all of us, and we had a whole different topic for you guys today. And I, I literally was like, no, we need to introduce everybody <laughs> to you guys because I think it's important that you understand mm-hmm. their backgrounds and where they come from and their experience to speaking to why this is so important and how is affected how it has affected them as human beings through their lives because. I I don't think any, maybe, maybe some white people have, but, and I think when, and maybe I'm saying this and people are going to be mad, but I've heard people say the opposite. Well, I've been through a lot in my life. Nobody is diminishing the trauma or experiencing experience that a white person has been through in their life. What a white person will never experience in a traumatic way is what it what society has set the Black community, Brown community, Muslim community, whatever community up for in a world truly that was designed as it feels, and as I listen more and I I read for a white community. So I think it's important that when you're listening, you don't feel attacked. Like you don't sit there and say, "Oh my gosh," well I've had a lot of trauma. Their trauma is not. Nobody is minimizing. We're looking at it from a totally different perspective. We're looking at it from the race side, the inclusion side, the equity side, all of the the things that have nothing to do with trauma that you experience. We know a lot of people have trauma. I have my fair share, but I will never minimize the the fact that I am a very privileged white woman who will never ever have to experience what um, a marginalized community, a minority community, any community, ever has to go through. And I recognize that and I own that. And my due diligence is how can I be better? And so I just want to say that because I've heard it from white people, especially white women and, and feeling attacked. And that's not what this is. So I really hope you, you just maybe see in here how you can walk away with some really useful tips or some more empathy or maybe an open heart more like just more open to the community. And, and when you see, and this is where, you know, I'm Tom I want to segue into you. And this is why I want to segue into you. You shared a story with us. Um, and I want to open with this because I think it's super important is you shared a story how, and maybe this was at your school. So remind me. And we're talking about the most hurtful thing sometimes for you is not the comments and the race the slurs from that particular person can you tell us what is the worst part for you like what is even worse than hearing those words from that person what is what is the hardest part
3: that would be the quiet bystanders the one who we have power in numbers and the ones who um, just stand by and let what's happening happen in front of their eyes. Um, And they don't take action either by words or by acknowledgement. And sometimes people think that, okay, well, this man is yelling at this woman or he looks like he's aggressive or he's, he's angry. Sometimes your energy is kind of like, even, you don't even need to turn to him. You need to turn to her or that person being attacked and just say, Hey, I see you. Are you okay? Do you need help? Should I call somebody? You know, something of that sort. Or I'll walk you to your car. Or, you know, whatever it is, but kind of like take an action and saying, I see something, so I'm gonna speak up and do something.
0: And I think that right there for all of us listening, people who are listening later, if you're listening to this later today, if you see it, because I think a lot of people, white, white women, and obviously I'm seeing from a white perspective, because white women are mostly the people that I hear these things from is, well, I don't know what to say, or I don't know what to do. And I think that simple action of walking up to you, she didn't, you as a white woman doesn't have to deal with the person that's doing it or engaging in that, but asking you, are you okay? And I'm going to be 100% honest. I've never thought about that before. I'm like, how can I rip this throat out? <laughs> just, you know, just that's where my mind goes. Um, I would never do that by the way, but you know, you know, and I, you get the point. But I never considered that walking up to you specifically and saying, are you okay? Can I walk you to the car? Is there, you know, what he did, you know, even acknowledging what would, what happened was wrong. Right. So I want to thank you first for like, obviously I am around so many different people, but that was huge. That was honestly huge for me. So I wanted to open with that because I think it's a big thing that we forget and we miss and we, we seem to think we have to take the biggest action, right? We have to be out there with signs, protesting, doing all this stuff. But really, we, we, we can start somewhere really small. Like, as small as calling your school, as small as asking, you know, if you see that out in public. Or How about this? If your friends are talking crap, don't even engage or say, I don't, this is not appropriate. This is not okay. You know what I mean? Like, these are all small things. They don't have to be huge. You don't have to create movements those are started those are there right so I wanted to start I, I just I just thought it was super important to kind of start with um, and then I want you to tell people your story tell us who is Tom Keen most people know you from the site you do an incredible job of showing up and being yourself but I want people to just know who you are even more
3: thank you so um, hello everyone um, I've been part of the Detroit mom community for more than two years now, which is crazy. Um, but um, so I am a stay-at-home mom. Uh, I have uh, six kids um, from teenagers all the way down to um, a kid who's supposed to be in preschool, uh, but COVID, so he's home with me. So um, so I've got lots of angles and stories here, but I'll say that I am the daughter of Indian immigrant uh, parents. So um, racially speaking, being brown um south asian indian um slash pakistani um that's that's the race that i have um i say where and i'm going to use that because i was born and raised in canada so i saw myself as a canadian until someone said no who are you really um so then not have to say my parents were born in india so then it makes sense right because then you know you're canadian but you're not really canadian because hey you know you're not white well Let's not go into where that came from, too. So that's another story another day. But um, so then, I so that's how I grew up. I grew up um, an Indian-Canadian. Uh, we moved to the U.S., to Detroit in particular, metro Detroit area, um, when we got married. So uh, I'll say now about 19 years we've been here now. So a little bit more than 19 years, but yeah. So um, I wear many labels. Uh, I don't really know which one, <laughs> but... I am Muslim so that is and I chose to uh, cover my face. Um, I wore a hijab since well, I don't remember it was a little kid um, and then I started wearing a longer gown to cover um, uh, below my ankle, also below my uh, below my neck um, to cover my clothes and stuff so that was in high school um, and then I started covering my face after um, which is called a niqab or some people call it a burqa, depends on where you belong but this is a niqab that I call it. Um, And I started covering my face one year after I I did university in uh, Toronto. Um, And I did this as a personal first decision as an independent woman, free thinking, you know, I wanted to do it. So I did it. And I told my parents one day, I said, I really, really want to um, wear this veil um, and I'd like your support. So I wore it before I even got married. Um, So, um, And it have been now a few years. I'm a, a uh, 40 something year old woman so it's been a- quite a few years sometimes more like I'm going into the prehistoric you know era here to, to talk about that <laughs> anyhow so I've been wearing it for a while and um, and then we moved to the States, so I'm raising American children so I feel like I have like the Indian in me the Canadian in me the American because you live in 19 years I mean you, you're as much as American as you can be in, in some shape or form, and um, and a Muslim. So I wear many many labels and many many. Uh, I belong in many boxes, but I belong in none. So um, I am in my own box, and so I I carry that story with me everywhere. I would like to say that I'm a progeny of many stories, and I'm learning to own my story in my forties, um, so that. I can become an ancestor to a generation that accepts all aspects, all colors of themselves.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay. I was just, I was just taking that all. <laughs> Sorry for the pause. Um, Can you, okay. So I know your story. I know a lot of things about you, Tumkeen. And so I know I, we don't want to make this too long and I, I don't want to dig into them, but I know your story is so, you live in a very small radius, right? I do, and I—I I want you to share the reason why. Um, and we'll kind of this kind of is also a segue, guys, into what our topic next week is. And I will tell you that it's really powerful. Um, it will really change how you think about a lot of things. But um, I kind of wanted to to talk about that because I think that that is a really important aspect of your story and why you maybe not are the way that you are, but why, what has shaped you into this woman, right? So right. obviously, so I'll let you kind of share that is, is why you you live in this very small right. bubble, essentially. Right, so um,
3: when I moved to the U.S., it was the year after 9-11. Um, so um, there was, whenever I'd go anywhere, um, I used to be followed by the security guard who um, wanted to know why I was there. Um, there's the a story of me being in uh, the Sprint sales store. I don't know, like, oh, it was long ago. So, yeah, I think it was Sprint. Um, and so we were there, and um, my brother was with me, and he had never had the experience of being with me um, um, in public. Just It just never happened that way, and he was visiting me. So we had gone to the sales store, and we, and the security guard, a very large man stand stood next to me the whole time. And he said to me, I felt really uncomfortable. My brother said to me, I felt really uncomfortable. Why did that man come out from the back soon as we stepped in? And I said to him, I turned to my brother and I said, it's been like this for a while. It's been like this, um, you know, since I've come here. And you get people following you and asking what you're doing in their store several times before you realize that they don't even want me there. So I made my circle very small. I started traveling to only one target that I know that's in my area and not any other ones because I didn't want the cashier to treat me rudely or treat me like a person who's an intruder in their world. So I built my world. There's a target that I go to. There's a mire that I go to. There's a Kroger that I go to. There's a route that I follow. I don't go new new streets. I don't go to um, a target that might be not Three miles away but 10 miles away like i don't do those things i feel very apprehensive as a part of me that becomes into this mode that i have to protect myself um and so i keep my bubble small because there's been times when i've been to stores and um uh, the cashiers will talk to the customers and they'll kind of bounce off of how ridiculous i look or can you believe that can you believe her um so you take it so many times you realize that it's my mistake in being in a place like this. So I, you know, the world is like that. So how do I protect me? Because there has been many times I've cried my way home um, where the kids want to know what's wrong, mom, because I'm shaking at, in the grocery store. Or that um, how the kids get mad because they don't know why someone's talking to their mom that way. And they want to know what's wrong because they only see their mom. And so I tell them that it's okay. People just don't know. Um, so I kind of just, you know, I've built that world. It's it's a little bit of a different world. It's more um, diverse now here. Um, people, I guess, are not so ready and quick to attack anymore. The media has definitely start stopped um, demonizing Muslims as you know as much as they used to before. I mean, it's a little bit lesser now. The volume is down. Whatever. Um, another conversation, the other day for that. But so I feel like people are not as uh, you know quick to attack me. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit more comfortable. However, um, there's a there's a guard, and a part of me is guarding my heart. Uh, a part of me is shielding myself from unwanted stares because I didn't even realize as I'm going, uh, I'm getting older. I'm realizing now how much I've cut off myself, cut off myself from places. Because of this fear, I will walk into a store literally and wonder whether or not that store wants me to walk out with a bag that has their label or their brand on it. Because I don't know if they want me to be a, someone who's a you know a walking billboard for something because then it's going to associate with their brand and they don't want that. So I don't like to sit at the glass at the window of a of an establishment because I don't know if when someone looks inside. If they see me sitting, dining, drinking a cup of coffee um, by their window, if that's something that they're going to want, because they might repel someone from coming inside, they might not welcome someone else in their view. So I I, I carry that with me everywhere. And sometimes the load is pretty heavy. So I just stay close to home.
0: It's really heavy. And something you said when you said to your kids, it's okay, they don't know any better. That's not okay. It's not yeah. Okay. Nothing about that is okay. And you should never have to tell your kids that it's okay. That's like... But if, if my Muslim son gets angry... Yeah, no, I understand that. And
3: if and that's if, the I, thing. Yeah, and if, if someone learns and if someone realizes that we have a voice, then, then it's also that we're being... See, they're like that. So... um so, like, I think I have the right to use my voice, but the world has taught me that my vo- my voice is not welcome and it's not to be amplified. Um, so, this being right here, this is taking trauma of the past forty two years and saying that I have a mic now and I will use it. And so that's why I'm doing that, Detroit mom. Every single time I talk to you, Elizabeth will say to me you're welcome to say what you want to say this is a safe space and then my pen gets a little sharper every time i write with it so uh, i'm glad for spaces like that
0: that makes me happy i'm i'm grateful time. my pen gets a
1: little <laughs> sharper thank you tom to print that out
0: <laughs> that is i know you and your words you little wordsmith there tom keen um oh every time like i swear i you know we are just this group, just really getting to know each other and digging in. And um, I hope that you listening, at any point you're listening, you walk away and you're just like, whoa, I have never thought about that. I've never considered that. I have a lot of work to do. I'm calling my school. (laughs) Because honestly, you guys, it starts with our kids. Adults, especially older generations are not changing their ways. They have no intentions of changing their ways. It's truly up to us because think about it. If you're somebody who's like me, I've in-laws, I'm not going to lie. They're, they have way different perspectives. We've had to have the conversation with them because they've said stuff to our daughter. We had a nanny who was gay. And of course my mother-in-law had thoughts on that. And my daughter is the one who's like, he should be able to love whoever he wants and all this stuff. You know, that's important. Like we need to teach our children that it's not our responsibility to judge. Not even a little, none at all. And so I hope that you walk away and you just really feel ready to listen to the series and, and create change at some point. And if you are a black, brown, yellow, whatever, I hope you feel so damn seen because we see you. We want to also, I, you know, I want the white community to be on board just as much as I want every other woman that doesn't look like me to feel seen. Truly. Um, And so we'll be back next week. Thank you, ladies, for being here. I hope. um, And if you guys have anything, send us a DM. Send us a DM. You can find us on Instagram. Um, I will put in here Erica's DM, Kanisha's, Tom Keen's. You guys can you can jump in there if you want to ask them specific questions. Asking the question, there is no question that is stupid question. There's no question that's stupid. Because I'm gonna guarantee you, there are about five, ten, maybe twenty, hundreds of other women. Heather, hundreds of other women who feel the same exact way. So don't think you have a stupid question. And we will see you next week. Please listen to this whole thing and share it with your friends because everyone needs to listen. And um, happy Monday, my gosh, happy Monday. Bye guys. Bye everybody. Bye.